You're listening to Just One of the Guys, the podcast that does not advocate the torture and ear mutilation of police officers by Michael Madsen. This is an internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comic books from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Hello, if you didn't already know, my name is Sean Engel, I'm going to be your host for the show, and today we are going to be covering Green Lantern comic number 10. This is part two of the Guy and His North storyline, so if you haven't listened to part one and you're wanting to know exactly what's going on, jump back a week in time. Well, technically there's no way for you to jump back a week in time, but go back to the podcast archives or to your iTunes account and go get the previous week's episode. That way you'll be able to catch up on what's going to be going on in this issue. And if I may say so myself, I'm having a blast with these comics. As I mentioned last week, which if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I'll fill you in on it. This run of comics is what got me interested in the Guy Gardner character. Prior to this, most of my comic collecting had been the X titles and Wolverine, and although those titles were interesting, they were getting a little dark and convoluted, and I was looking for something different. I loved the Green Lantern as a character, as a kid, and I never had any idea that there was anyone other than Hal Jordan as Green Lantern. When I found out there was this character, Guy Gardner, I got interested, and I found him to be incredibly to my liking. He's a ridiculous, over-the-top anti-hero who basically has a heart of gold underneath his macho, tough-as-nails exterior. He also, as I stated in the previous episode, has kind of been relegated to the sort of second-string category. And as I've also mentioned before, I am a sucker for the underdog character. And Guy has proven time and time again that he is the underdog. He is constantly put down, overlooked, and dumped upon. And it's been my hope throughout this podcast that I can kind of change people's opinions of Guy, and if not completely turn people 180 into loving him, at least give people a different take on the character to show them why I think he's a fun character to read in comedy. But with that rambling out of the way and no emails to read, hit hint, I'm going to get to some promos for some other shows that I like to listen to, and then we're going to get back to my review of Green Lantern comic number 10. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. 
Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. My name is Steve Lacey, Diamond Podcaster. Randomizer hit my long boxes, and now I'm lost in my comic book collection. Help me. Help me. Listen, please, is there anybody out there who can hear me? I'm being controlled by an overbearing and fickle randomizer. I'm doing everything I can to review this book in the next 20 minutes. This is the 20 Minute Long Box. The 20 Minute Long Box is the briefest and most random of comic book podcasts. Every two weeks, a completely random comic book from my collection is the subject of the show. Find me at the show's site, 20minutelongbox.libsyn.com. The show's blog at 20minutelongbox.wordpress.com or search for 20 Minute Long Box on iTunes. Prepare yourself for random. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. Penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. With a debate dream, they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You Earthlings can't change the way I can. And he's not the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more. And the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ramatons. King of Kings. Master of Men. And Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hold. Stop! You must not end on the task of Diablo. My journey has ended. I shall sustain the living drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.Libsyn. 
Hey gang, Tom DJ Better in the Dark here. As I've discussed in the podcast, which you can find at earth2.net, I suffer from mental illness. Part of this illness includes struggling with suicidal thoughts. Now I'm lucky. I've got great friends, family, and yes, even fans who give me the strength to conquer those thoughts every day. Some people aren't so lucky. For them, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, providing support and advice to pull those people through the darkest moments of their lives. For the months of March and April 2012, Better in the Dark is running a special BITD challenge. We're asking our fans to go to SuicidePreventionLifeline.com and donate at least $10. The donations are tax-deductible, and you'll be doing something truly great. On top of that, if you forward a copy of your receipt to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net, that's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net, you may be eligible for special goodies from us, a special director's court on Brian De Palma that you'll be listed as co-producer on, plus the possibility of free audio commentaries on some of De Palma's films from me and my co-host, Derek Ferguson. For more details, listen to recent episodes of Better in the Dark. Please help me send a lifeline out to those who need it. Meet the BITD Challenge. Thank you for your time and help. And with our promo business out of the way, let's move on to the review of Green Lantern number 10. Green Lantern number 10 has a cover date of March 1991. The cover price was $1 US, $1.25 Canada, and 50 pence UK. The title of the story was Bring in the Clowns. The writer was Gerard Jones, the penciler was Joe Staten, the inker was Bruce Patterson, letterer was Albert de Guzman, colorist was Anthony Tolan, Sturm was Kevin Dooley, and Drang was Andy Helfer. Please forgive my horrible German accent, even though my family hails from Germany. I have no ties to the motherland, especially ties that would allow me to speak the language in any capacity at all. Space the final frontier. These are the voyages that the... No, no, damn it, damn it, damn it. That bit has been done to death. We open on a scene of Guy and Nord traveling through space. Nord is singing a Green Lantern version of the Green Acres theme to pass the time, while Guy is doing everything in his power to keep from killing Nord. After beginning another song set to the Beverly Hillbillies theme, Guy snaps and a power ring construct punches Nort into a tailspin. Growing tired of scouring the galaxy in an effort to find who gave the furry do-gooder a power ring, Nort stops Guy to let him know that they just passed his home planet, where his uncle, who got him the ring, lives. Flying down to the surface, Guy hopes that Nort was just some kind of reject, and that his uncle will be a reasonable man. Much to Kai's dismay, the entire planet is inhabited by bipedal terriers who view Nort as their hero. After introducing his assistant Green Lantern, Nort begins to regale the masses with his exploits. Peeved that Nort is sounding a bit too much like himself, Guy yanks Nort away from the throngs of fans to go find his uncle and set things straight. After one of the cheapest puns in history, the two lanterns reach the uncle's palatial estate, replete with ring construct fire hydrants, T-bone steaks, and hot tubs filled with scantily clad... Bitches. Hey, it's an appropriate term for female dogs. Get over it. Guy demands that Uncle Newman, with a G tell him where he and Nort got their rings, since the actual Guardians would never allow a lantern to use the ring for purposes like this. 
Newman sends Nerd away with a red rubber ball to play fetch while the big boys talk. Here, Newman tells Guy how he got the ring for himself and his sisters that he had sung, but says that he can't recall what the Guardians look like. After a suggestion of dinner to refresh his memory, Newman sends a signal to the Quartian Weaponers, telling him that the Lantern from Sector 2814 is questioning about the rings. The Weaponers are glad, because they will be ready this time to face Earth's Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Planetside, the dinner isn't going well, as the dogs only enjoy food that smells good enough to roll in. After a little quote-unquote gentle persuasion from Guy, Newman gives him a mental image of the Guardians, which Guy has never seen before. But Guy knows who might have his old buddy Hal. Approaching Hal's intergalactic sphere ship, Guy plops down for some coffee and asks Hal for some info on this race. Hal looks at the image and tells Guy that these are the Paglachis, but there's no way that these people would even be considered for the core. It is here that Guy reveals why he is seeking Hal's help, as he points to Nort floating outside of the sphere. Guy tells Hal that the real Guardians told him to find out what was up with Nort's ring, and Hal gives Guy the coordinates of the Paglachi homeworld. After tossing the duo out into space, Guy and Nort head toward the planet, but not before some more, quote-unquote, bonding takes place. But the pair is being followed by the weaponers, who are prepared for the tactics of the fabled Hal Jordan, and are ready to carry out the biddings of their master, or face his crimson wrath. Guy and Nort finally come upon the planet Hal sent them to, except there are no cities to be found. Upon a closer look, Guy spots some strange tents and heads toward them. But before he can investigate further, a bolt of lightning streaks from the sky, narrowly missing him but striking Nort in the chest. Distracted by Nort's injury, Guy takes a bolt to the back, causing him to crash into the planet's surface. Thoroughly ticked off, Guy creates a ring construct fan to blow away the clouds that were obscuring his attackers, the two Cordian weapons. As Guy streaks toward them, the weaponers prepare for a feint or flanking maneuver from the approaching Green Lantern but they realize too late that this isn't Hal Jordan, as Guy comes barreling at them, knocking them off their sky signals. Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, all rights reserved, breaks out until Guy captures one of the Cordians and demands he tells them where these Pogwatchis are. The Weaponer obliges, but not before he is melted into goo by, quote, the Red Heat, Guy flies to the surface to check on Nort, as well as the tents he saw before the fight broke out. But what Guy and Nort see is a small Volkswagen Beetle pull up to them, and as Guy hangs his head in disgust, they witness a group of aliens, looking like circus clowns, pile out of the car, declaring that they are the guardians of the universe, and welcoming Guy and Nort to the new Green Lantern Corps. What we have here in this issue is Gerard Jones and Joe Staten bringing us one of the most impressive uses of slapstick comedy ever to be put down on the comic book page. The comedy bits draw themselves from classic icons like Laurel and Hardy 
or Abbott and Costello. But they also have the sort of feel of a road trip type movie that you'd get with Bob Pope type comedies. However, even though we're treated to all the comedy beats in the comic, there's another use of my alliteration with letter C this time, we also get the underlying story with the Weaponers coming back and the introduction of a possible villain in this person who is the Crimson Lord. Hmm. Crimson Lord, Green Lantern, I wonder who that could be. We'll have to stay tuned and find out, folks. But with that, I'll go ahead and head on to my notes. We'll start with the cover, which is a nice cover of a view screen and a sort of futuristic Kirby-style spaceship with a giant red button that, ironically enough, says fire underneath it. And on the view screen, we get an image of Guy sitting in a hot tub. You know, I'm assuming naked because Nort is in the background holding his Green Lantern uniform and giant green boots. And Guy is sitting in the hot tub with two young females. Two young bitches. Two young female dog creatures like Nort. Now, I know Guy is a man who likes his ladies, but it just seems kind of odd that he'd be canoodling around in a hot tub with two alien dog creatures. But, you know, Guy seems to be having a good time because his right hand seems to be going a bit low on that uh, female dog creature on his right. It kind of looks like he might be cupping a feel. However, you know, if this creature is like a actual dog... Her breasts might be a little bit lower, and there might be three pair of them. So, something to think about in horror as you listen to the rest of this podcast. Page one, you get the panels of Guy and Nort floating through space, trying to find where his uncle might be. You get Nort singing his version of the aforementioned Green Lantern song set to the Green Acres song that sounds a little bit like, Green Lantern is the guy to be. Power ringing is the life for me. Ring slinging through the galaxy. Keep your planet to give me that battery. Yeah, I apologize for my horrible singing, but I'm certain it comes out even worse if you're a bipedal terrier. And to also add to the enjoyment of this episode, I promise not to sing the Beverly Hillbillies version of the Green Lantern song. Page 2, panel 5. If you're a dentist on the internet, you've probably seen the Picard facepalm picture. It's usually a picture that people pop up whenever something embarrassing has happened. Well, let me say that Jones and Staten were doing that years before Picard was. And in this panel, we get the first Guy Gardner facepalm moment as they've been scouring the universe trying to find Nort's home planet. And Nort just tells him, hey, we just passed it a while back. Awesome. Same page, panel 6. If you look at the planet as Guy and Nord are approaching it, one of the continents is shaped like a giant milk bone. So somehow continental drift and evolution on this planet are somehow inexorably linked together. Page 3, we get the title splash page with the second facepalm moment in the issue as Guy comes to the realization that Nord is not just a mutant dog, He comes from a planet of mutant dogs, all of whom are about the same intelligence level as Nort. 
Essentially, Guy's life is hell right now. Page 4, panel 2. We get a shot of Guy being surrounded by all the dogs of the planet just sniffing him, which is typical for dogs to do, but some of the things that are coming is like, oh, it's nice to meet you. Hey, you didn't happen to have a cat, did you, Guy? Of course, this really ticks off Guy, and in the next panel, we see Guy swatting them all away with a giant ring construct newspaper. It's, it's damn funny. Page 5, panels 1 and 2, after we get Nort telling about all his exploits with the JLI and how he saved the Green Lantern Corps all this time, Guy's just sitting there fuming to himself until he kind of realizes that, hey, this is the kind of modus operandi he has. He's the sort of braggart storyteller, and it it really gets his goat. Same page, panels 4 through 8. Now, I mentioned in the uh, synopsis that there was the worst pun in history in this comic, and here's a little how it goes. We've got Guy hauling Nord away from his storytelling thing, and Nord's going, but, but Guy Rito, smell is essential to our survival here. We've evolved around our sense of smell. And Guy says, I don't care. Your uncle sniffs me, I'll bury him in the backyard. And next panel, Nord says, but my uncle doesn't have a nose. And Guy turns to Nord and asks, yeah, so how does he smell? And Nort turns to him and starts to say, Terrible! And before Nort can get the final syllable out, Guy punches the hell out of him with a giant green fist and just looks completely dejected that he fell for that pun. Page 6, panel 2, we get the first view of Uncle Newman's palatial estate, which is kind of a doggy version of the Playboy Grotto. I'm getting the feeling it's probably just as unsafe to go into the pool or go into any one of the hot tubs there as it would be at the actual Playboy Grotto. Probably catch something you don't want. Page 7, we get introduced to Nort's Uncle Newman, who's sitting in a hot tub with the two aforementioned naked bitches. And in panel 4, we get the image that Newman actually did lose his nose, and the way we can tell that is that he has essentially an eye patch covering his nose. Same page, panel 9. I love it that Newman is able to distract Nort while Guy and he talk by pulling out a red rubber ball for Nort to play with. It's just hilarious to me that Nort reverts to essentially just being a giant fun-loving dog whenever the need arises. And that's a lot more apparent over here on page 8, where, you know, Newman's throwing the ball back and forth, and Nort's just chasing after it, and at the end, he's, Nort's going, get the ball, guy, get the ball! You know, it's it's typical dog stuff. I do this with my dogs, and it's fun, and of course, when Guy picks up the ball, it's covered with, of course, tons and tons of Nort saliva. Not unlike when you pick up a ball that's been played with with any other dog. Page 9, panel 2, we see Newman signaling someone with his Green Lantern ring, and we're finally introduced to the antagonist in this story, and we realize there are some of the classic weaponers from the old Green Lantern series, replete with their brown uniforms, with their Hawkman-like helmets, and their electric yellow lightning bolts. It's awesome. Page 11, panel 4, we see Hal traveling through space and essentially 
what's the equivalent of a mini Borg sphere, except uh, this time it's not crawling with alien robotic life forms wanting to assimilate and kill you. It's filled with a table and a coffee maker. So, nice of the Guardians to provide that for him, so Hal's not having to just ring his way all over the universe. Page 12, I look at this panel, and, or I look at this page, and all I say is, you know what, I would really want a Green Lantern coffee mug. I think I'm going to go see, after I finish recording this, if somewhere on the internet I can buy myself a Green Lantern coffee mug, because that'd be cool. Same page, panel 7, we get introduced to the image of the Pogwachi, and let me tell you, they are a stereotypical bozo-looking type clown. Obviously, the name of the character is a reference to the Italian opera uh, I Pagliacci, written and composed by Ruggero Leoncavallo. Now, as previously stated in the episode, my ability to speak foreign languages is pretty poor, and I'm basically reading the synopsis of the uh, play off of Wikipedia. And tell you what, I'm not going to try and synopsize it. If you want to know what Pagliacci is actually about, Wikipedia is a great place to go. It's chock full of information. Some of it, even true. Page 14, we get a really great conversation between Hal and Guy. It's just two guys, you know, chatting it out, trying to figure out what's going on with these aliens. And unfortunately, Guy has to sort of end it all with... You know, telling how when he's going out to recruit, he should recruit some people like Aresia because she's got some really great talents. And again, of course, Guy is referring to breasts. Now, with the whole thing between Hal and Aresia, I could see why the next thing that happens would be pretty much predestined. Hal shoots Guy out of the airlock into space. Of course, Nort really doesn't know what's going on with this. He's not accustomed to this. So Guy points out that, you know, what Hal and he have is kind of like male bonding. And whenever you punch someone, it's just two guys, you know, having fun with each other. So from this, Nort gets the idea that Guy really likes him. And unfortunately, Guy punches him one more time with a ring construct. And Nort is even more taken back by Guy certain that Guy has true feelings for him. Especially since it's evidenced by the uh, final panel on page 15 with Nort just looking awestruck with the stereotypical pink hearts floating around his head. It's it's goofy cuteness. Page 16, panel 4, we get the weaponers saying that our cruel and beloved master wished us to do this thing, and we must do it, or face the heat of his crimson wrath. Hmm, crimson wrath. What Green Lantern enemy is crimson and wrathful? I'm wondering. Page 17, panel 5, we see a bit through Guy's tough exterior as Nort gets hit by one of the weaponers' lightning bolt, and Guy just freaks out and is actually showing a bit of concern for him. So it's a bit of a peek behind the facade that Guy Gardner puts up to be the sort of macho hero when he's actually, you know, a good person at heart. Page 19, we got a nice framing of panels as we see Guy heading towards the weaponers and the weaponers saying, you know, be prepared for anything. This Hal Jordan, he's clever. He'll do a feint on us. And you get the next panel, which is Guy coming closer, and the weapon is going, any time now, he's, he's going to turn, he's going to do something 
deceitful, be ready for it. And then suddenly Guy just is almost on top of him, and they're like, you know what? I don't think this is Hal Jordan. It's it's a very clever sort of comedic moment, and Guy plowing through him just as the is the icing on the cake for this series of panels. Page 20, panel 2, we get Guy destroying one of the Accordion's uh, sky cycles by flying right through it. Now, it's a dynamic panel, but unfortunately the sky cycles are bright yellow, and usually when a lantern is fighting against anything yellow, it completely messes up the power. So I'm wondering how he's able to do that without, you know, basically turning his skull into pate. Page 21, panel 4. It looks like uh, the quote-unquote red heat gives people the old uh, toe treatment from Raiders of the Lost Ark, the whole face-melting thing. It's, it's kind of a neat effect. And page 22, panel 5, we get the final facepalm moment of the issue sode with the shot of the sort of alien VW bug with all the ridiculous-looking clowns just climbing out of the vehicle. It's a completely goofy scene, and sadly it's something you probably wouldn't see in modern-day comics ever again. So enjoy this while it's here. But that's the end of my notes for now, so let's go ahead and go check out some of the amazing ads in this month's comic. On the opening cover inside page, we've got there are hockey cards, and then there is upper deck. And we've got the uh, NHL hockey cards being shilled by Wayne Gretzky again. Next, we get a full-page ad for the Capcom game Destiny of an Emperor, which looks like kind of a maybe a real-time strategy game in the sort of Legend of Zelda vein. It's kind of weird, but it's a really wordy ad with only one shot of the uh, gameplay, so you've got to kind of wonder how enjoyable it was to play this game when all they can really do for the ad is give you a boatload of text and very little of the uh, game imagery. Next page, we get an ad for the Buck Rogers and the 25th Century role-playing game from TSR. Now, this isn't based off uh, the... uh, Gil Gerard, Aaron Gray, Buck Rogers. It's more based off the sort of pulpy comic we can add for Cracker Jacks, which allows you to send in six proof of purchases, $9.95 and $2 postage and handling, to get your face, your information, placed on your very own baseball card, which will inevitably be thrown in a picture album and forgotten. And then, of course, the next page, we get a Bam Zoom Pow, obviously trying to uh, entice the sort of uh, comic book fans with, you know, the onomatopoeia of the Batman era to buy Fleer baseball cards. And I still will never understand why they put advertisements for baseball and basketball cards in comic books. They, like I've said before, they seem antithetical. We get the same ad for Mega Man 3. Is there anything else you need to know? And I think we covered this last time. And again, another ad for baseball cards. This time, national baseball cards. Were were people really buying a ton of baseball cards from comic books? Was comic books the main advertisement for baseball cards? I 
I owned a lot of comics, and I never bought baseball or football or soccer cards or any of that. When did this happen? We get a full-page ad for some Great Eastern conventions uh, with Stan Lee, Bill Reinhold, and Tim Vigil in Detroit, and Stan Lee, Jim Lee, and Chris Claremont in San Francisco. Next page, we get the hodgepodge ad of muscles drawing comic book characters, pretty much the same as the last few issues. And on the back panel, we get the advertisement again for Arch Rivals. It's a real basket brawl, which I think I covered in the last issue as well. But thankfully, to make up for all the repeat ads, we've got a brand new ad for the Three Musketeers adventure. Number two in a series, they don't tell us how many are going to be in the series, but this is number two in more ways than one. And we've got the same sort of standard, typical 90s artwork with the opening panel saying, While attempting to salvage a sunken nuclear sub 1,500 feet down the Mariana Trench, something strange happened. And we get the rescue ship and a helicopter flying by, and I guess the captain of the rescue ship says, We've never had readings this far down the trench, sir. And overlooking the uh, radarman's shoulder in the next panel, the captain goes, Could be a seismic anomaly, or a whale. And then the crewman manning the radar says, It's rising, sir, and fast. And the next panel we get the caption, Suddenly is something gigantic spurts up out of the water with a giant whoosh sound and everyone looking on. The final panel, we see the ships, you know, looking on at this giant Three Musketeers bar floating on the ocean. From the uh, rescue ship, we see someone saying, Sir, is that bait for some sort of trap? And I guess the captain replies, If it is, I'm biting. You get the final caption on the uh, splash saying, Where will Three Musketeers turn up next? Big on chocolate. So, essentially, I'm going to make the assumption that ancient aliens came down to Earth and implanted giant Three Musketeer bars around the entire globe just to mess with the American military. Hey, it's as plausible as any other ancient alien story. But... That's going to be it for this issue. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you come back for next week's issue, where we get to part three of the Guy and His Nord story. Please be sure to email me if you have any comments about the show, and we'll catch you next Friday. See you then. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Engel. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books can be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback to the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. 
You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me on Facebook, because I don't have an account there. But if you've got enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you can obviously spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thank you for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music to this episode show was Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel. You can either download the music from iTunes, or better yet, go to the 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com website, click on the Amazon.com banner at the top of the website, and go download the song from there. You'll be helping out a podcast friend of mine, and making sure that fine quality DeMonzacore podcasts stay on the air. And if you'd like to hear this song used in a Quentin Tarantino movie where Michael Madsen is torturing a police officer, use the Amazon.com link to go to Amazon and buy the DVD or Blu-ray version of Reservoir Dogs. It's Quentin Tarantino-terrific.